Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hey guys, this is Matt in Miami, big fan of the show. Again, learn a lot every day from listening to your podcast. I'm wondering if you guys take a look at NYCB. I'm trying to make a play into the banking sector. And provides unbiased answers. I love this call because it highlights something that I learned early on. It was interesting to me because it was one of those things where it highlights how different sectors can be. And in the banking industry, debt, as long as they have good underwriting standards, debt is actually a good thing. Invest Talk, over 38 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, January 27th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. And we had another interesting, wild day in the markets. That seems to be the trend here in 2022, which shouldn't shock anyone if you understand the uh, the hawkishness uh, of the Fed and the uh, the cyclic cyclicality of the market. We have probably a lot of new investors that listen to the show, and hopefully, we've given you some perspective over the last couple of years to really understand the type of market that we're in. And we're in at least, and now we're in a different market of talking about this shift, this change, and your job as an investor and my job also as an investor and advisor is to uh, navigate these, these waters and continue to find opportunities and avoid risk. Now you never avoid it completely. Don't ever think that you're not going to have a drawdown. You're not going to have losses. You're not going to make mistakes. That's inevitable. I don't care who you are. You're going to make bad choices. The goal, though, is to make those bad choices with your eyes wide open, meaning you know the risks involved, that you're not blindsided by certain risks. And that's why you always want to look at the pros and the cons, the upside and the downside of any investment and go in with your purchase or your sale if you're if you're shorting something and knowing all of the risk, not missing anything. Cuz if you miss something, it could that one thing could drastically differ from your market view, your investment view, your risk tolerance level. And by missing that, you could be opening yourself up to losses uh, that are unexpected. And in this market, there's even more risk. Because so many other people have taken bets without their eyes wide open. Which means that when things reverse, people panic out. There's weak hands. There's people chasing returns, chasing stocks. 
great saying is, you can chase returns, but you'll never catch it. Great quote. And so that's what I'm here to help you do, is to not chase returns, but chase good, solid investments. They fit you and your needs and your goals so that you can build a comfortable financial future and reach financial freedom. And your financial freedom will be different than your cousins or your brothers or your sisters or your neighbors. It will, because you're starting from a different place. Your aspirations in life are going to be different. Your lifestyle choices will be different. And thus your risk tolerance levels will be different and your investments will be different. And you need to know what fits, what fits you. And that comes with understanding each investment that you're looking at, each opportunity that you're looking at. So I'm going to operate with my mission statement today, which is always independent thinking and shared success, which means I am here to give you the facts and present it all without bias. I'm not here to push uh, in, you into one asset or another because every Almost every type of investment has its place. Some for the vast majority of people, others for a very small slice of people. And so you need to, so, so my goal is to give you the tools to make better decisions for you personally. So I'm Justin Klein. I encourage you to reach out to me with your finance and investment questions, which you can do right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. If you're listening after hours, no big deal. You can still leave a message on our anytime voice bank. Either way, the number never changes, 888 chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hey, guys. My question is for Justin Klein. My name is Kevin White from San Francisco. I wanted to know about Iron Butterfly options. I'm pretty experienced in options, but I... I've never really touched this one, and I was wondering, would it be considered, I guess I would call it a passive-aggressive investment, to hunt for flat stocks that are profitable companies and then use iron butterflies to make income over six- to nine-month periods, or if that just simply wouldn't work? I'd love your feedback on that. Thank you. Well, any, any option strategy can work. Any, any, any of them. It's just, can it work consistently? Are you picking the right positions? Uh, are you taking the right side of the trade? Now, in an iron butterfly, what you're trying to really do is you're trying to take advantage of like you said, companies that maybe don't have a ton of volatility. Now, the problem with that is just targeting those companies is that that's price in the options market, companies that don't have a lot of volatility. And therefore, your gain on an iron butterfly where you're trying to create some sort of credit and define your risk. And that's really what these these uh, iron butterfly, iron condors are, are, are really about. And the vast majority of the time, you'll probably make money. But remember, that volatility is, is priced in. Now, really where you make money in options 
is selling volatility above where the applied implied volatility is above realized volatility. I know that sounds complex, but put simply, when you're buying or selling an option, there is an embedded assumption of what the volatility is likely to be in that particular stock over between now and expiration. And if the volatility is higher than what was implied when you purchased it, and it goes against you, especially, you're probably going to lose money. Now, that's interesting about options is it can actually go against you. But if you sell it at high enough implied volatility, where the realized volatility is actually less, even though it went against you, oftentimes you can still make money on those transactions. So a lot of it has to do with targeting companies that you think that have a in the marketplace are selling the, the options are selling for above average level of volatility implied volatility for the amount of volatility that it typically has or is expected or you expected to have in the future. And that's really where you're going to make good money. Okay, so in the options market, the best money is made in selling high higher than average implied volatility. Now we're moving into a quick break, but I'm here ready to answer your investment and finance questions here in Invest Talk at 888 chart You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, so get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. We're going to go talk to Richard in the Bay Area. How are you doing, Richard? Uh, hi, Justin. Doing well. How about you? Doing well. How can I help you? Uh, I wanted to talk about the 2000 tech bubble and like comparing mm-hmm. it to now. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know, like, what is? was there something specific that burst the bubble? Was it the higher interest rates or something else uh, or was just spontaneous? And then uh, if so, how can we predict, like, is this going to be a burst bubble in the bear market versus uh, just a setback? And like, because in 2015 or 14, there was a higher interest rate and the growth stocks took a hit, but they were temporary. So was there something different that we can tell? Was there something different? Uh, well, Everything, remember, everything is multifactorial. So it's not just one aspect that says, oh, well, this is, this is the, the, the reason there's a bubble or, or this is the sign that there's a bubble. Uh, definitely multiple factors. Obviously, easing credit. Uh, one thing that fueled the first tech bubble was the Asian financial crisis in 1998. That was kind of the first time that the Fed came in and really tried to save the market and really inject a ton of liquidity into the system post that 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 mini crisis and it wasn't as big as the covid crisis reaction but it was new and it created a lot of liquidity and then you combine low a lot of liquidity with a great environment for telling a story 
That was the rise of the tech uh, of, the, of the internet, and things were moving fast. There were a lot of new companies that were exciting and interesting, similar to what you see today in, in crypto and in green energy and in software, uh, clouds, uh, cloud services, etc. There's there's a lot of things that are that are changing the world. But what happens is the average investor who's flush with liquidity in some way. They start to chase those returns and there's money just piling in and at any cost, at any price. And so that was really the driver back then. And there's a lot of those similar drivers today. So liquidity, a lot of liquidity in itself isn't, isn't the precursor for every bubble. Now, it can create a good investment environment in the short term where there's more capital uh, out there in the system to chase assets, to buy assets. But it's especially explosive when you have a lot of retail buyers, uh, purchasers of these assets that are atypical. And you see that with the number of new brokerage accounts that were open post-pandemic, very similar to the late 90s. And so it's a lot of different factors that go into it uh, and why there's very, very strong parallels because a lot of them are very similar. You have, once again, the Asian financial crisis, 98, and was 2000, so 20, or yeah, 2000, so 22 years later, there was the COVID crisis and another similar reaction from uh, monetary authorities, uh, fiscal authorities, et cetera. And so this is, uh, these are the parallels. It's never exact, but, and it's always multifactorial, uh, but once again, a lot of parallels. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. What kind of returns might investors reasonably expect over the next several years? We're going to look at what is typical for market pullbacks and then also, based on valuations, based on trends, what investors should expect from the market as a whole. Now, we're just going to look at the market as a whole, but we obviously know that there are subsectors as well. I also want to look at target-dated funds, target-dated funds. I know a lot of you have these in your 401k plans, and there are positives about them, and there are obviously negatives. So I want to look at the research and give you what the results were. Next, venture capital and big tech, not just here, but also in China. There's a great learning lesson that you can take away from the struggles that venture capital is having right now within China. And then lastly, DeFi. DeFi in the crypto space, well, there's some new studies about who's who's using these systems and whether that's good for the overall cryptocurrency uh, system or not so that's what's on my mind but ultimately i want to know what's on yours so it's a busy invest talk thursday and i'm sure you've got questions it's been a busy week i've got answers my phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, so get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. 
They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Hey guys, this is Matt in Miami, big fan of the show. Again, learn a lot every day from listening to your podcast. I'm wondering if you guys take a look at NYCB. I'm trying to make a play into the banking sector, and uh, I was trying to look at this stock specifically. ROE, it looks decent. The forward PE is about what it is historically around like 10, and that has a dividend of about 5% right now. I was wondering what you guys think a good debt to equity ratio is for a bank, because I noticed it's around seven, but obviously this is a different sector than what we would normally think for other sectors. Curious your thoughts on that as well. Thank you guys very much and keep doing what you're doing. I love this call because it highlights something that I learned early on. And it was interesting to me because it was one of those things where it highlights how different sectors can be. And in the banking industry, debt, as long as they have good underwriting standards, Debt is actually a good thing. Leverage is a good thing. That means that they are making loans. They're earning money on those loans. If their debt to equity is too low, it means that they have too many excess reserves. They're not going out there and lending enough in order to make money. That's the point of what a bank is, right? Borrow short, lend long. And so... When you're looking at the debt to equity ratio, always look at it in comparison to other banks and don't get too hung up on that ratio. They have many smart people in the background looking at their risk and they have regulators looking at their balance sheet and their risk. So I don't really focus too much on that. I focus more on what is their main business? Is that going to benefit from the current economic environment? uh in in the short to medium term and then long term do they have good underwriting practices are they managed well and is their return on assets return on uh equity consistent and strong and the answer for this is eh return on assets last decade average about one percent which is which is fine but not fantastic and then I look at the region that they are in. This is a New York bank. This is New York Community Bank Corp. And the company is a producer of multifamily loans in New York City with an emphasis on non-luxury residential apartment buildings with rent regulation. So eh, it's okay. But we like, I would like to be in a region that's growing better that is more consistent profitability. For example, we own a regional bank and it's return on assets. So same measure, same type of business, more geographically diversified uh, is around two. Two, that means they're earning double the amount that, that this one is on their, their assets, return on assets. And that shows that they have consistently above average returns for the, the the sector. And so I don't love the location. I don't love the area that it's in. I'm glad it's not too exposed to the commercial side of New York City and, and, and the commercial real estate. 
but I, I this is not one that I would get excited about. I'd be looking for other uh, regional banks, regional commercial banks. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. What kind of returns might investors reasonably expect over the next several years? Now, we're in the bouts of some volatility, as we should expect. And the question is, should you be worried? A lot of people are asking themselves. Well, I think that depends. Depends on who you are. Depends on what you're allocated towards. Corrections are normal. In any given year, 5 to 10 percent corrections are normal. I know I said this before, we have a lot of newer investors. People have just gotten into investing over the past couple of years. The last two years post pandemic is not a normal market. Very, 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 very atypical. You should probably never expect a market like that ever again in your investing life. That may happen, but it's going to be a one-off to be very rare and so volatility you should embrace volatility gives you opportunity now we know that the fed is raising rates tightening policy and that's drying up liquidity but that doesn't mean there's a death knell for all assets. It just means that there's a new market regime. Three to four rate hikes historically is not a ton. It may feel like a ton, but it's not. And as long as earnings can stay relatively robust, then three to four rate hikes should be uh, uh, put you in kind of a, a more neutral state for the market. And maybe set you up for a positive year next year. So it's reasonable to expect that below average returns for the next year, two, three years. And the market as a whole, and the S&P as a whole. But there's always opportunities to make well above that. Like I've said before, there every year there are sectors. There are some sectors that do fantastic, others that do very poor. Now, if you're an older investor, you're approaching retirement, maybe lowering that risk makes sense. But for younger investors, for those that can wade through this cycle, this is the time where you pick up bargains. Now we're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. 
Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, the next Invest Talk, the story behind this question. What's going on in the labor market? The labor market could ultimately determine how well the economy can recover. And that's tomorrow, and Steve will get to that. But now, let's pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank, 24-hour voice bank, for a question that came in earlier on 888 chart Good morning. Uh, Andrew from New Hampshire calling. I have a question about a company that you've talked about holding and uh, having a, in some of your managed portfolios. It's a company called One OK. Symbol is OKE. And I was studying the last eight years of financials on this company and understanding that it looks like a utility to me. But something makes me a little bit nervous, and it seems like they are funding all of their capital expenses through either debt issuance or issuing of shares and essentially paying out all their earnings in the form of dividends to shareholders. And it just makes me nervous that they are growing their share count significantly over the last, particularly the last four years. So I'm, I'm just curious about your perspective on that, as I know that you tend not to like increasing in, increasing share counts. And then I'm also curious about it compared with Williams Companies, which seems to be in a similar space, WMB. Just curious about your perspective on the comparison between the two. Thanks so much. Appreciate everything you do. All right. Great question. And looking at Williams companies and O uh, that's WMB and then OKE uh, One Oak. Uh, and they are in very similar businesses. They are in the natural gas pipeline business. Uh, Oni Oak. I never know how to say it. Oni Oak, One Oak. Uh, it's engaged in natural gas and natural gas liquids gathering and processing mainly in the Rocky Mountains. And Williams is a bit more diversified in their business, but very, very similar. Larger company, about a $35 billion market cap. Uh, OKE is $26 billion, so about a uh, third, third smaller, but still both uh, very large, consistent uh, dividend payers. And you are correct that uh, OKE has increased its dividend or its, uh, its, its dividends or dividends, shares outstanding over the last few years. Uh, but it, we don't find it to be uh, dramatic, about 10% over the past three years. So it's not uh, not extreme. Uh, and their business has grown. Their cash flows have grown now about $1.5 record trailing 12 months. 
even with that payout ratio paying out a, a lot of their earnings. So we don't expect big increases in their dividend, uh, but in their balance sheet it is fine. Obviously, they are, it's very capital intensive. They have to build out their, their pipelines and service them, et cetera. But they uh, have a lot of upside to more natural gas volumes, and we think we're headed for that. We still have not pivoted to nuclear nearly as fast as we need to in the U.S. and uh, it's to, to service our energy needs. And we're cutting coal out, and the replacement for coal naturally is natural gas. And we have a lot of that here in the U.S. So uh, I see that being, we see that being a continued driver of OKE's uh, increase. Now, Williams is very similar. Like I said, they've also been increasing their uh, shares outstanding a little bit more, actually, since uh, over the last few years from uh, about $800 million in 2017 to $1.2 billion shares outstanding today. And they're also paying out a lot uh, in their dividend, and their leverage is about the same. Their, their, their uh, leverage on their balance sheet is very, very similar. So, uh, But we like the cash flows uh, on OKE a, a bit more and, uh, and the more upside uh, to natural gas volumes, which we, which we like. So those are kind of the reasons, but both are good. Both are very good, solid companies, and uh, we'll, take, we'll, we'll benefit from higher natural gas prices and volumes. Thanks for the call. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to the question quickly. So here are some questions from iTunes reviewers. Hank says, I appreciate the honest and unbiased approach to your analysis of stocks. I found Banco Macro, BMA, of Argentina. They have positive earnings and their P ratio is 3.6. The stock is priced below 13. Do you recommend this bank as a value hold with potential upcoming growth? <sighs> See, this is the issue with these, especially South American uh, companies. The South America is notorious for skirting rule of law. Uh, there's, there's a lot of history of defaults on government debt, of leaders taking over private companies, and that's your your risk here with something like this. And that's basically it. That's why it's trading at a deep discount. It's cheap on an earnings from an earnings perspective, but you're taking the geopolitical risk. Do you want to take that? That's your main question. For this it's interesting, but I'd definitely rely on the chart. The chart's going to tell you a lot about what the trends are geopolitically within the country, within the business, and the business is actually decelerating. So supposed to earn five dollars, uh, sorry, earn five dollars and twelve cents in twenty twenty two for full year. Last year, supposed to make three dollars and ninety one cents once they report for the fourth quarter, uh, down twenty four percent. So it's still cheap, still trading three, four times earnings. But as long as it just powers lower, I'm not going to touch it. So you have the geopolitical risk and then the currency risk as well. Remember, this is going to be based on uh, the Argent Argentina peso. So uh, you, you definitely need to be aware of that. And I would pass on it. Good to keep an eye on 
and maybe see a trend shift in Argentina as a whole and the economy uh, in the currency. And this would be a good vehicle to ride that, that train higher. But that train higher definitely has not left the station and I would not get on until it has. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8899 to get through and ask your question on today's show. Now let's touch on target dated funds. This is from a paper coming out of the University of Illinois and MIT. And it's called Simple Allocation Rules and Optimal Portfolio Choice Over the Life Cycle. And there are a few takeaways from this paper. What they did is look at all the different tar- target dated funds and figure out where, you know, who they might be good for and who they might be not the ideal solution for. Now, the first takeaway is that for younger investors, it's a, they're pretty good tools for a few reasons. One, the further out your, your target date, the more equities you're going to have and the closer that is going to fit with your priorities or your needs for a younger investor. For most younger investors, the vast majority of them, they're in a similar life situation, probably not earning a ton of money. They have high risk tolerance level and they should be taking more risk. And so target funds typically will fit that. Also on top of that, those young investors are inexperienced. And so the kind of simple set it and forget it, don't have to think, don't, won't make any major mistakes type of uh, 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 setup with a targeted fund, uh, that's beneficial for them. Now, the second takeaway, though, is that older investors, as you get closer to retirement, target date funds get sometimes overly conservative. A lot of that has to do with 2008 and what happened with them. And there was a lot of pushback from Congress and you know your standard reaction of politicians during a crisis and, and overreacting and, and creating actually worse problems in the long run. And so their glide path towards conservativeness, and that's how target date funds work. Remember, as you get closer to that target date, the fund gets gradually and gradually more conservative. The issue for older investors, though, is that that may be appropriate or that may not. If you are in poor health and you're approaching retirement, a more conservative strategy probably makes sense because you have less years to potentially live and you don't want to, then you can't go work if you re- once you retire to make up for a loss. But if you're in good health, maybe you have a part-time job, you're gonna live maybe to 95 or 100, you probably wanna be more aggressive. And so as you get older, the dispersions in people's lives and situations are more dramatic. And so a more directed financial plan and strategy makes a lot of sense for those older investors. So your needs vary dramatically. So those are kind of the the main takeaways that it can be good. There are positives, but as you get older, you need a more targeted approach, a more detailed approach. That's what we say. You try to roll that 401k into an IRA, uh, do a in-service rollover at 59 and a half if you can, and, and open yourself up to more opportunities and more targeted strategies for your particular situation. Now, let's go to Robert in Pleasanton looking at Western Digital. Yeah, hey, Justin. 
it uh, looks like they reported earnings that were actually pretty good, but uh, I think they may have cited some issues with supply chain, and that's the reason why the stock is uh, coming down after hours. Just wondering if you think this might be a good time to pick it up. It looks like, um, you know, if, if it really is just supply chain issues, that certainly isn't a long-term issue. So I'd like to get your thoughts on it. So this is Western Digital. This is a maker of hard hard drives. That's their their main uh, their main business. Flash drives, hard drives for desktops, notebook computers, enterprise applications. Uh, they sell them into server farms, etc. And certainly they've benefited from the the rise of cloud computing and big server farms, etc. And just uh, the overall ubiquitousness of personal computers. But it also produces somewhat of a commodity. Do you care, really, whether your hard drive comes from Western Digital or Seagate or another manufacturer? Probably not. You're looking at the manufacturer of the computer as a whole. Is it an HP? Is it a Lenovo? Is it an Apple? What is it? And so I think their pricing power is relatively weak. And you can see that with its margins. Right now, they're high, 8%, trailing 12 months. But 2018, they were negative 4.5%. For the five years before that, it averaged probably 3 or 4%. So it's a business that is up and down. So that's, what, that's one thing I don't like about it. And they've been slowly increasing shares, uh, cut their dividend completely. And... Their guidance continues to be uh, to be rough. So uh, the chart isn't exciting me. It's now looks like it's near a 52-week low. We go to a weekly here. Let me see if there's any major support. Yeah, I mean this looks like it's headed about 28. To be honest with you, so I'm passing on it. It's not it's not cheap enough yet. It needs to be much much cheaper. It needs to be below 40 before I even think about picking this up. And right now, after hours, what are we at? 49? Yeah, so I think it has a ways to go. Uh, I would I would uh, keep an eye on it, but definitely wouldn't get excited about it until below 40. Let's go to Mark in Cincinnati looking at QuantumScape. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Do you own QuantumScape or are you looking to buy it? Um, well, I have it on my watch list. I see mm-hmm. the, the EV um, market's been really going downhill here of uh in past about about the past month and i was i didn't know if this was if i was going to buy it i was going to wait till it took a you know a huge dip i know i don't know if this is the bottom if i'm trying to catch a you know a falling knife well you're definitely um, trying to catch a falling knife this is gone down rapidly from 44 dollars in november now it's at 14 dollars so down over 30 dollars since then and it's at an all-time low. Now, it recently went public, so that's not a, a shock there. But it, it looks like, I guess, would it be all-time low? Oh, not, not quite an all-time low. Lowest level in, in a while. Um, you know, this looks like it's headed for single digits. I, I, would, I wouldn't be aggressively picking this up. Remember, this is a money-losing story stock. At the end of the day, that's what it is. Now, you can, you can buy it here, and if they're technology works out and they are a dominant leader in batteries because of their technology which they're still 
trying to prove out that it can work on a large scale, then it won't matter whether you buy it at 14 or eight or seven, you know, you'll, you'll do incredibly well. But this is an environment where this type of stock is not in favor. It's losing money, burning cash. What do they mean? What happens when you are doing that and you can't borrow money? Well, you have to issue more shares to lose shareholders. So it's on my watch list, but it's not on my buy list yet until I'm comfortable with macro backdrop to where these type of companies are back in favor. And I don't think that's going to be the case for probably the first half of the year. Maybe in the back half, third, fourth quarter, potentially, but not yet. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now. We're heading to our final break at 888 chart This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Steve and Justin, thank you for all you do. I listen to your show every night, and I've learned a ton. My question is about ticker symbol SCHD. It's Schwab's Dividend Equity ETF. I'm thinking with these volatile times, I like the way they screen their companies. I just wanted to get some insight, see what your thoughts are uh, on SCHD moving forward the next you know, couple quarters. Also, BIP is Brookfield Infrastructure. I do like the way their company is set up, and I'd like to get some insight on that as well if possible. Thank you so much again. Uh, I look forward to hearing your reply. All right, looking at SCHD, which is, which is the Schwab U.S. Dividend Equity ETF, low expense ratio. And if you look at the portfolio as a whole, it's, as you would expect, heavily on the value side because it's focused on dividend payers. Now, what's interesting here is that they have no utilities in this. It's highly focused on financial services, 22%. Then second highest is industrials, 18%. Technology is 15 and a half. Consumer defensive, 15, so kind of consumer staples you would, you would expect. Healthcare, 13. And the rest is a single digits exposure. So, and no exposure to real estate, REITs, or utilities. So that's interesting here is, uh, you know, we, we like REITs, we like utilities in this particular space. Uh, so this would be a higher risk type of dividend equity ETF, but it is leaning towards value. So I like that. Uh, but Remember, everything's going to be, if the market goes down, you're still going to have a broad-based ETF like this go down. It's going to be hard to kind of buck the overall trend. Now, you could outperform, but when everyone's selling the S&P because it's heavily in the FANG names, and the FANG names going down, uh, you're going to have a lot of these names caught up with it. Top-down holdings are Coke, Merck, Amgen, Pfizer, Pepsi, IBM, Verizon, Cisco, Broadcom, and Texas Instruments. And I would say only about three of those I love. So is it better than the indexes? Sure. Do I love it in the medium term? No. But long term, it's solid because it's value-focused, which I like. Uh, Then you were looking at Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. And this is 
kind of like a, a utility. They invest in infrastructure assets. One thing you have to understand is it's a limited partnership, meaning the dividends, and you might fall in love with that three or 3.5% dividend, it's going to be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. And if you hold it within a 401k or an IRA and you get, uh, I believe it's over $1,000 in a year in income, then you have to file a separate tax return. You get, you're always going to get a K-1. It becomes more of a pain in the butt. So be aware of that. I like the, the company. I like Brookfield. We own a, a, another similar name. But yeah, I don't like the limited partnership aspect. But if you're okay with that, uh, it's fairly solid. Thanks for the call. Now, let's lastly touch on China and venture capital. Now, last year, China's tech, tech stocks cratered. And this year, so far, American tech stocks are cratering in a big, big way. But the drivers of that are very different. The NASDAQ correction has more to do with overvaluation of companies, companies that are unprofitable, going public, uh, and just a lot of weak hands selling uh, as they were chasing returns. And now those returns are going negative. Whereas China's sell-off has more to do with deliberate policy by the CCP, trying to rein in the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial class and putting the priorities towards the people as opposed to investment returns. Now, other countries look at Silicon Valley and all of the value that's been created there, the Googles of the world, the Facebooks of the world, etc., and they want to create their own type companies like that to create more jobs and, and wealth for their country. And China kind of is running that playbook. And actually in the late 90s and early 2000s, Goldman Sachs, Sequoia Capital, Capital, they went to China and they used the same playbook to build companies like Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu, JD.com, etc. And the problem is, is that they were assuming that China was like the U.S., and clearly it's not. And this crackdown on these companies, uh, I think is going to mean a huge outflow of capital from China uh, back to other countries. And I think it's up for upper grabs. May come back to America, but could go into other countries, maybe India. So there's a lot of potential there, but it just shows you uh, similar playbooks, but different environment that they're operating in. And that's why those companies are being hurt so bad. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free downloads, which you can find over at iTunes, Spotify, Spotify or Google Play. And it's official. We crossed over the 38, 38 million mark last Friday. And our momentum continues. And it's all thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.